Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, what a uh, what a weekend it was. You got Oklahoma State uh, sweeping, busting out the brooms up in uh, Ames, Iowa, getting a win in uh, Hilton Coliseum, and then we had a, a really an all-time instant classic Super Bowl. So uh, what a weekend it was. It was an elite sports weekend. Um, man, I had the three TVs going almost all weekend. The Waste Management Phoenix Open was going. Oh, that Rick- too, yeah. Ricky Fowler was in contention, made an ace yesterday in the Sunday Orange. Nice to see Ricky Fowler on the broadcast on a Sunday again. Uh, that's been a nice development. OSU basketball, Super Bowl, Premier League, Palace get a lucky goal for a draw. <laughs> oh, man, what a weekend it was. Hey, you're locked in. You're locked into Crystal Palace now. You, you threw Uh-oh. that in there with some big, some big boy events. Oh, I'm locked in, baby. I don't even know if I mentioned the Super Bowl because that's the obvious one. Uh, but, yeah, we can get to that later because Boynton's squad is – they're coming, Carson, and I don't really know who's stopping them. I guess maybe we'll find out tomorrow night in Stillwater. Well, they have a really unbelievable slate to end the season, and uh, things are getting very interesting just in terms of where they're stacking up in the Big 12. But before we get to that big win on the road and just how well they're playing right now, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris's University Spirit. Dot com And yeah, Colby, you asked me kind of what I was picking for this game in Ames, Iowa, and I just just kind of felt like one of those schedule losses for me, not to mention the fact that Iowa State had won 12 in a row at home and OSU seemingly, like many teams do, find a way to lose when they go up to Ames. But um, man, give them credit, Colby. They are just finding ways to win. They're, they're shooting the ball pretty well for them. And um, Man, all of a sudden you look up, they've won what? One, two, three, four, five in a row. They've won seven of their past eight. And they're one of the not only the hottest teams in the Big 12, Colby, but really one of the hottest teams in the country if you take a step back and look at it because they're they're just finding ways to win. And man, they're they're absolutely on fire right now. Yeah, they are. They're shooting the ball better, like you said, uh, eight of 22 from three the other day against Iowa State. And the interesting part to me was, Um, the game was even as far as rebounds go, but Oklahoma State turned the ball over a handful more times. So Iowa State actually shot the ball, Carson, 13 more times than Oklahoma State did. Iowa State was dominating possession. They were getting more shots. And I I think that what was frustrating about this team for a long time has now become a calling card that you can rely on in these close games in the Big 12. And it's that defense that Oklahoma State plays where even though Oklahoma State takes only 44 shots compared to Iowa State's 57, Oklahoma State made one more shot than Iowa State on 13 fewer attempts. That is Mike Boynton defense, and that is those guys going to work out there. Uh, I mean, you give a ton of credit to the big guys inside. They just make it so, so, so hard to score at the rim. Boone had two blocks. Uh, Cissé had a block. Smith had a block. I mean, Oklahoma State is getting it done in a bunch of different ways right now, but I think that that box score from Saturday really tells the story of this team, even when outshot. By 13 shots, they put more uh, more baskets in. So, yeah, great great game from Oklahoma State. And this team has found an identity that starts with defense, and then whenever you shoot the ball decent, which they have been lately, you're going to beat some good basketball teams. And that's a really impressive road win that, as far as I'm concerned, has firmly removed and elevated Oklahoma State well above any bubble. 
I, I agree. I mean, Marshall Scott and his five thoughts makes, makes the case that, you know, even if they don't win another game from here on out, or maybe just one win here on out, they'll still be in the conversation. Uh, and we can talk more about that. But one thing I wanted to hit on, Colby, uh, Mike Boynton is an elite road game coach. All, like If you just take a step back and look at it, all of a sudden you just look at his resume. Uh, let's see here. You know that was Iowa State's first loss on the road this season. They're now twelve and one. He's four and two in Hilton Coliseum, and he's already won in Lawrence in his career. Should have won this year without that just egregious no call on the Kansas Jayhawks that they always seem to get. Like he he's finding ways to win, Colby, in some of the hardest places to win in the Big Twelve and really the entire country. And uh, that's one thing we haven't really talked a lot about is you know even in like an Eddie's heyday, some of those road games, you just, you just had very little hope of winning. And Mike Boynton seemingly is, uh, has a much better record than some previous coaches at Oklahoma state and winning in some tough venues. Eddie Sutton never won in Lawrence. <laughs> I mean, wow. just, just put it, put that in perspective. And, and Mike Boynton's really, really done a great job at, at winning big games on the road. Yeah. The Eddie Sutton never won in Lawrence stat wasn't one that I was expecting today. That is absolutely shocking. Um, yeah. And in an increasingly difficult big 12, right. To go on the road and win in these tough venues. I mean, Hilton's a tough place to play only loss of the season. Um, man, it was the first time since I think maybe they said 20 years, 20 plus years that they'd gone up there and won a few times in a row at Iowa state. And this is with a team that, I mean, a month ago, we're talking about really needing to get hot to get in the tournament. And now we're looking at a team that's 16 and nine overall, seven and five in conference play, five straight wins. I mean, Iowa State's 16 and eight and seven and five in conference play. And that's a ranked opponent. That's a ranked team playing good basketball. I get it. They've got some marquee wins Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State has a chance to get one of those tomorrow. Right now, Oklahoma State's two best wins are both against Iowa State. Those are very quality opponents. I think to get that respect nationally and get into the polls, you, you need to beat Kansas tomorrow. You need to get that really high-level, prominent victory, which Oklahoma State doesn't have. But, Carson, I want to talk about John Michael Wright a little bit because this is a guy coming into the season, didn't know much about him, didn't know what his role was going to be, what his impact was going to be, but he has taken it on, on himself over these past few weeks to really be a guy that you can rely on on the offensive end of the floor late in games. And Oklahoma State has needed that, and he seems willing to take and make those big shots late in the games. He's a solid free throw shooter. You can trust him late, and I have been blown away by his production late in these games whenever you need somebody to go get a bucket because uh, he's been that guy. Yeah, and like it seemingly has been an issue for every Mike Boynton team is they haven't really had – much outside shooting. And he's really over the past seven games provided that like 45 and a half percent from three. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an elite metric for, for an NBA guy, let alone, let alone at the college level. And, um, you know, the loss of Avery Anderson, I think it was, was really looming, uh, coming into this final stretch of the season, but, but both him and Bryce Thompson, I feel like have really, really stepped up. Caleb Asbury, I thought really provided them a spark as well. Uh, he was outstanding in Ames and he got a little, got a little chippy, up there in the Hilton Coliseum, which is a whole nother story. But but no, you're right, Colby. I mean, I didn't really know what to expect from from John Michael Wright this year. A bit of an unknown. That was there was a lot of unknowns on this team coming into this season with a lot of new faces. And he's really proving to be a guy who has really stepped up in the absence of Avery Anderson. And uh that's just a, a hot streak. You know, I mentioned Bryce Thompson's hot streak he's been on. If you can get more of that from John Michael Wright that they have over the past seven games, then I again I just 
that's why they're the one of, if not the hottest team in the country right now. I mean, they're they're clicking in in a, in a lot of ways. And again, this wasn't this wasn't a a masterpiece performance. It was a bit of an ugly game, a bit of kind of a throwback old school Big Twelve game. That the officiating was a complete catastrophe in the first half, sucking all the life out of the game. But again, they just as we kept saying, you know, they they kept finding ways to lose under Mike Boynton coming into this season. Now they're really just finding ways to win. That's what good teams do, and that's what well coached teams do as well. Yeah, it's like a, a switch has just flipped for them. They were down by six points at halftime, and I'm watching early in that second half, and it felt for a long time like Iowa State just had Oklahoma State at arm's length. Like just just one nice stiff arm, just keeping them away, four to six points, four to six points, four to six points, and then boom, there was a run where that Oklahoma State defense kicked in, and Iowa State didn't score for like four minutes. Oklahoma State took the lead, and then they were able to add on to that at the end of the game. But another thing, Carson – Oklahoma State is is by no means going to set any NCAA records from the free throw line. But what Oklahoma State has struggled with with the past couple of years is that it's not just the the big guys who have missed key free throws and key moments. The guards at time have been suspect from the free throw line. And those are the guys that you need knocking those down late in games. Yesterday, Caleb Asbury, five of five from the free throw line. John Michael Wright, four for four from the free throw line. Those are your two starting guards. Uh, Bryce Thompson didn't shoot a free throw yesterday, or pardon me, on Saturday. Those are your two starting guards. They go nine of nine from the free throw line. Iowa State, as a team, nine of 19 from the stripe. Carson, I feel like a lot of times you and I have been the ones watching their school go out and be the nine of 19 from the free throw line and you lose by eight points. And finally that's on the other side. And again, I don't expect CSA to go out there and knock a bunch of them down. He was over five from the stripe. He was five of the team's six misses from the free throw line. But if Caleb Asbury, John Michael Wright, Bryce Thompson, if those guys knock theirs down from the free throw line, you're going to be okay because those are the guys who have the ball in their hands late in the game. And I think that that, uh, is a big development because that's been a big struggle for this team for a few years. I know it really has. It's been uh, quite refreshing to be on the other end of that because you're right. Uh, OSU's uh, free throw defense is elite along with their uh, their regular defense. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> uh, something like that. Maybe Musa is just intimidating standing down there by the rim at seven foot, whatever he is. Yeah, <laughs> he's a he's a big boy. Uh, let's see here. So yeah, they uh, went against Iowa state on the road. Um, let's give out some, some bullets and BBs from this game. Have you, have you put together your, uh, your plaudits before we get into what's coming up next for, uh, you know, home game against Kansas? Uh, yeah, for me, I, I talked about him earlier, but my bullet goes to John Michael, Wright. I've been so impressed at the way he's played recently because <clears throat> watching him early in the season, you thought, you know, this is a guy who's a contributor. He's going to be on the floor, but I don't know that I saw, uh, yes, pardon me, Saturday's performance. I keep wanting to say yesterday. I don't know that I saw Saturday's performance coming from him. Not only was he great all game long, but he was on the floor all game long. 38 minutes on Saturday. Uh, Bryce Thompson played 34. Those are the only two guys who played more than 30 minutes. Bryce Thompson was solid once again with 12 points of his own. But 19 points from John Michael Wright in that game, uh, including a three late in that second half and, and knocking down his free throws. He was the offensive catalyst for Oklahoma State in that second half in which they just stifled Iowa State. Uh, 24 points Iowa State scored in that second half. Uh, great performance by the team all the way around, but John Michael Wright gets my bullet for what he did in the second half. Uh, that's a good one. Hard to, hard to argue with how well he played. And in that 7-0 run he went on by himself was just <clears throat> so, so crucial. Uh, my bullet is going to go to Mike Boynton. I mean, when this team was 1-4 and four in conference play, you know, it's year six. You know, the, the rumblings were getting louder and louder and louder. 
And rightfully so. I mean, you're six. I mean, I know he's dealt with a lot of issues with NCAA and all those things we know about. But um, the coaching job he's done this year, I think, has been truly outstanding, especially given the fact that he loses, you know, his best ball handler in Avery Anderson. He is really, 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 and he, he dealt with the Musa Cisse injury. This the season has not gone smoothly in terms of the health department. I mean, that's, that's two of their most important players right there, Musa Cisse and Avery Anderson, and. Since he's gotten Cisse back, I mean, they've really just gone on this tremendous run. I mean, starting with the Bedlam game uh, at, at home. And I think we're finally seeing Mike Boynton figure out, you know, I, I just I think back to to Mike Gundy's first couple of years at OSU. He was kind of figuring out how to be a head coach. And I think that's something that we kind of take for granted in some ways. There's a lot to being a head coach besides just coaching the games. And he's finally figured out what his teams are capable of and really, really gotten to hone in on what they're best at. You know, they, they had kind of fallen in love with the the threes and layups culture that the NBA has just, you know, sworn by where they were launching a bunch of threes and trying to get to the rim, which, you know, the analytics crowd will tell you is the way to play. Well, now they're just playing straight up bully ball with their bigs inside. That's the strength of their team. Moose C say Caleb Boone. And I just think you got to give Mike Boyne a ton of credit to navigate not only this Big 12 schedule the way he has and, and just keep finding ways to win, but also to navigate the two injuries he had to deal with ha- has been truly exceptional. And, um, man, Colby, it's it's really exciting given what's what's coming up next. Yeah, it is. That's a good one. He deserves a ton of credit. Um, yeah, all, all the people out there, the critics who, who were saying some uh, – some things about his job performance earlier in the year. I get it because it was, we were waiting on the wins to come. They've come in bunches and he deserves a ton of credit for that. Um, man, as far as just looking at Oklahoma state, Iowa state and looking at Oklahoma state basketball, Carson, it's tough to come up with BBs right now for Oklahoma state basketball. Um, how about the, to- uh, how about there? the Iowa state bro? How about Caleb grill? Did you see this where they got the technical fouls with, uh, Caleb Asbury at the oh, end of the game had to be yeah. separated. Yeah, he was losing his mind. <laughs> and then uh, I loved when when Asbury got in his head and he, he missed the free, the grill dude missed the free throws. That was that's pretty great. I think he deserves a a BB. Yeah, he could get one for sure. Uh, by the way, great stat line for Grill. He was one of five from the floor, one of five from three point line, one of five from the free throw line. Maybe get in the gym, <laughs> put some shots up. Maybe do that. Don't argue with the officials yelling at Caleb Asbury. One for five across the board. Yeah, I I think that's a that's a worthy one. Um, I was gonna go with the officials, which I kind of hit on. They were just so bad, just totally. They called just an outrageous number of fouls. Yeah. Um, I I do want to give another bullet though, real quick. How about J.C. Hoyt? How good of a coach is she? I mean, sweeping Baylor, which again I know they lost their coach, but still, I mean they they swept Baylor this year. They're Really playing well. It seems like Chad Weiberg just really nailed this hiring of, um, you know, J.C. Hoyt as the the women's basketball coach. They they get another big win and, and sweep uh, sweep Baylor. Yeah, they've been really good. Um, hard not to be impressed with what they're doing. I'm trying to look here, see when their next home game they, is. They hadn't swept Baylor. They hadn't beaten Baylor twice in the same season since 2008. Oh my God, 15 <laughs> years! Wow, uh, 18 and seven, eight and five in conference. Also, they're 13 and two at home. The cowgirls are. They are a good home squad. Uh, they are not home again until next Wednesday, February twenty second. So I'll see if there was one coming up this week immediately. Uh, no, that'll be next Wednesday. And Oklahoma State, I think, is home road this week. It'll be Kansas tomorrow, and then TCU next week. You you got any kind of 
good feeling about hosting Kansas tomorrow? Oklahoma State's on fire. Oh, I feel great about it. I mean, we all know Bill Self likes to give one back to his alma mater. Uh, he's probably lost. I think he has definitely lost to, to Oklahoma State more than any other team in the Big 12. Uh, just for some reason, he uh, even when OSU hasn't been good, they've beaten Kansas. So I, I really think this is an opportunity to make a national statement. I mean, it's, it's 8 o'clock tip. Um, Oklahoma State's red hot. You got a top five Kansas team coming in. This is kind of a seemingly a moment that OSU basketball has needed for quite some time, not only to be playing really well, but to really, I mean, Colby, they're only a couple games back of Texas out of first place in the Big 12. Like, like I'm not sitting here saying they're going to win the Big 12, but like this is a huge game <laughs> just in terms of the, the overall hierarchy of the Big 12 and conference seeding for the Big 12 tournament and seeding nationally. And I just think, you know, if you haven't been to Gallagher-Iba when it's full, there really is nothing like it. There, There's just something about that building, not only just the way it's built. I mean, those stands just go straight upwards vertically. But there's there's something really real about the way they were to preserve its history when they expanded it to the, to the capacity it has now, about 13,000. It really is a special, special building. It's got the original floor on the court. It's just... I've been to a lot of arenas. I've been to a lot of games in other places. And I would put a full Gallagher Iba at the very top of special environments. It really is that good. And there, we've had moments lately with, with Mike Boynton when they went towards the end of the years with Bedlam's and, and certainly Brad Underwood had it full at the end of his tenure, his one year tenure. Uh, I just Colby, I think it's a special, special opportunity. And I think it's going to be a special environment too. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I'm actually a little worried about how loud it might get tomorrow night in Gallagher-Iba because I will not be there, but my 10-month-old daughter will be there. Uh, we leave out, my wife and I, for New Mexico in the morning. We're going skiing. My mom is watching the baby this week. My mom rarely, if ever, misses a home game. I, I actually think she, maybe she's been to every home basketball game this year, and her and my sister are going up tomorrow night, and I'm telling you that 10-month-out, 10-month-old is going to be out past her bedtime. She's going to be in a very loud arena. I am fingers crossed uh, that my mom and sister don't have too much trouble with the baby because I expect that place to be packed tomorrow. I expect it to be loud. I'm hoping that uh, the house, the Airbnb that we've rented, either gets just normal cable or has a strong enough internet connection that I can stream this game because I had to miss the uh, Bedlam game last time I was gone. I'm optimistic I'll be able to watch OSU in Kansas tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, everybody go as crazy as possible. The 10-month-old will have on the headphones. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, she's going to need the headphones. It's going to be loud no matter what happens. Um, and, again, this is – man, if you, if you care about OSU basketball at all and can make it there – get there because this is the this is the home slate to finish kansas kansas state baylor all ranked inside the top 12 that's the final three home games of the year uh this this has a chance colby to be like the good old days like i'm talking like eddie you know the eddie kelvin era where every game was just an absolute slugfest and an absolute you know national marquee matchup this is um this is what we've been waiting for, Colby. I've been waiting a long time for OSU basketball to be nationally relevant. They're still not ranked today, which is bizarre. I should have given a BB out for that. OSU not ranked. Uh, they're still receiving votes. But uh, make no mistake, Colby, they they will be ranked if they beat Kansas. And again, I just think this is something we've been waiting for a very long time for OSU basketball, just to get to this point 
And uh, I hope they seize the opportunity. It's going to be tough. Kansas is good, but uh, they're they're certainly not unbeatable. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And uh, the reason that's dinging here is I was actually checking my work schedule against the Oklahoma State basketball schedule as we're having this conversation. I'll be gone tomorrow for the Kansas game. The Kansas State game is my wife's birthday. She's not a huge basketball person in general. Don't think she's going to want to go to Stillwater on her birthday. But I am off work on Monday, February 27th, when Oklahoma State hosts Baylor. I have not made it to gallagher yet this season. I am making it my mission. I'm declaring it today, Monday, February 13th, two weeks from today i will be in gallagher when oklahoma state hosts baylor i've got to get up there once this is a fun team yeah that's a that's an eight o'clock tip man those are those yes. gonna be some late nights coming out of stillwater but uh man well worth it and um i don't know we'll have to we'll have to wait and see um you want to get to super bowl talk absolutely i want to get to super bowl talk what a game incredible uh and my my preseason pick the kansas city chiefs get it done and you hit a little ticket on that i think yeah, I uh, I copied you. You know, last year you waited till the Chiefs lost a few games and you bet their their futures odds to win the Super Bowl. Well, I just kind of happened to stumble upon a little nice little eleven to one shot on the Chiefs when they I think they had lost at some point. They only lost like three games this year, so I can't remember when exactly that was. But uh, sprinkled a little on eleven to one and uh, did not hedge. Just wrote it out and believe me, in that first half when Philly was just dominating the game i pretty much considered it a, a loss already i mean they were so lucky to only be down 10 uh going into halftime that uh it's just you just i didn't want to bet against Mahomes, and that, that turned out to be the right call i just you just can't bet against that guy yeah it's tough man he's special uh what the chiefs did in that second half was special second half ed Werder tweeted this out last night the chiefs after halftime had zero penalties zero turnovers zero punts zero sacks allowed they all they had one com- incompletion carson in the second half of the super bowl it was on the throwaway in the end zone when mahomes they did the little spinning deal in the in the huddle <laughs> and then mahomes threw it out the back of the end zone that was the only incompletion in the second half of the super bowl against arguably the best defense in the league from start to finish in the nfl season it was uh an all-timer on the super bowl and he's in for the it was an all-timer of a super bowl I, as a Dallas Cowboys fan, am very biased because I have a great amount of dislike for the Eagles at heart. Um, I know a lot of people felt like that was an anticlimactic way to end the Super Bowl. I was cheering that call because under no circumstance could I have the rival Philadelphia Eagles win a second Super Bowl in five years. So I was here for it, but I also understand the arguments that maybe you keep the, uh, the laundry in your pocket at that moment. I was at a Super Bowl watch party, and about half the people there were wearing Dallas Cowboys gear. I walked in. I was like, I didn't know Dallas was playing tonight. <laughs> and it's just people just there to hate the Eagles. So I respect that level of hate. I do. Yeah, I did not wear my Cowboys gear. Uh, I just dressed neutrally, but I was strongly cheering for the Chiefs. It's just seeing your rival win is so painful, especially when that rival is the Eagles. The Eagles may be my most hated franchise in all of sports. I just... I, I hate what Philly is as a sports city. Their, yes. fan, th- their fans have taken on this mantra of, well, you all hate us because we're idiots. So we're going to be even more idiotic just to prove to you that you should hate us. And I don't know. It's just everything about Philly as a sports city drives me absolutely crazy. And the fact that they forever have to live in the end result of that game. I'm not going to lie. It made me a little happy as a Dallas Cowboys fan. Yeah, I have. I will always root against the city of Philadelphia when they're up for a championship. And I, 
I got to say, like, even though the Chiefs now are going to be like the bandwagon team that every kid under the age of like 18 grows up liking, and that's just kind of how it works. Teams that have a lot of success play a lot of big, you know, AFC championships and Super Bowls. They're going to be the most popular team. But man, the Chiefs were not good my entire life until Andy Reid got there. They had a little bit of a moment with Joe Montana when I was super young, but they haven't been good. And it hasn't mattered because their fans are so great. Like they, they've had the best home field advantage despite being terrible for most of my life. And so I, I think they're a fan base that really deserves this. You know, some some fan bases I could live without, but I think the Kansas City Chiefs fan is one of the best in the NFL. And I, I was happy for them. I'm I, I'm not a big Mahomes or Kelsey guy. They're just they're not my cup of tea, really. But um, I'm, I'm happy for the can. That's a good fan base in our part of the country. So I was I was definitely pulling for them for, for those reasons. But I, I tell you what, how about at halftime, Colby? The, the Chiefs had run 20 plays, and the Eagles had 17 first downs to start the second half. Like, wow. That's how dominant it was. But, you know, there was an Oklahoma tie here, Colby. The, the grass. Are you ready to talk about, what was it, 31 Tahoma Bermuda? 31. Tahoma 31 overseeded with rye, and that part's important, Carson. Uh, you tell me why that's important because I this this goes way above my head on terms of turf management. Okay, I actually am a bit of a grass nerd. My wife makes fun of me when we go places. I reach down, I touch the grass. I'm I am I embarrass myself in public. I am a grass <laughs> nerd. I 100% embarrass myself in public. Um, Tahoma 31. That is the base. This hybrid that Oklahoma State agriculture created that is the base it's overseeded with rye so all those little slippery pieces of grasses that everybody was slipping on that's the overseeded rye that makes it really pop that green color a lot of golf courses do that prairie dunes famous golf course in kansas they overseed with rye every winter keeps everything green and lush all winter a lot of baseball fields and things do that overseeding with rye and that was done to this field so i would argue that the blame should not fall on Oklahoma State's Tahoma 31, which is in 31 stadiums on 31 football fields across the country, including inside the gates of our friends down in Norman, who are headed to the SEC a year early. That field is a Tahoma 31 base as well, uh, according to the story that I read last night about all these grasses, because, again, this stuff fascinates me. So I would argue that the rye is the real criminal here, not the Tahoma 31. Yeah, I mean... I saw so many people like talking trash on OSU's turf people for the field. And it's like, have you guys never watched a game inside this stadium? I mean, this goes back to like the, the Oregon Auburn national title game in like 2010, like the guys were changing cleats in that game. That was a long time ago. It doesn't matter who does the turf in that stadium for whatever reason. I think maybe natural grass just isn't supposed to be, inside a inside a dome inside an indoor stadium i know they can can open the roof but like i'm sorry i'm i don't you don't get to blame oklahoma state for the field being slippery like it's a it was a joke last year when osu played in the fiesta bowl it was a joke when they played at the chase field this year where the diamondbacks play something about those indoor arizona stadiums they just you can't keep your footing on them they just need to install nat, uh the artificial turf that most stadiums have done. I'm a grass guy, but for some reason, Colby, this place turns into an ice skating rink every time they play a football game on it, and it's always a talking point. And now the poor folks who did the best job that humanly can, that's why the Super Bowl hired them at Oklahoma State, they're taking flack for it. And I'm not I'm not here for that. That's BS. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, also, this is a uniquely Arizona problem, and there's a reason that this keeps happening in Glendale at this stadium. It's in the desert, right? These big-time games are played in the winter months, so it's nice and warm, 75 degrees during the day, but it cools down rapidly at night out there. So what happens is moisture then, dew, sits on the field, especially when the roof is open and that cold air is hitting it, and then it warms back up the next day, but that moisture is still there and has to settle, and it's just... There's no exactly perfect way to do it, uh, aside from what you said, which is to close the roof overnight and put turf in there. And I don't obviously they don't want to do that. Obviously, they want it to be grass and rolling in and out and doing all that different stuff. But it is a uniquely Arizona problem because that is a uniquely Arizona climate. And yeah, I, I think the flack for the Oklahoma State turf management program is unwarranted because there are so many outside factors here other than just this Tahoma 31 that seemingly doesn't have too many problems elsewhere. No, that's man. You do know a lot about grass. I'm blown away by that analysis. That was good stuff. I, I my wife, I, I would say of everything my wife makes fun of me for, and I have a lot of quirks, my love for grass uh, is probably number one. She That's the golf nerd in you though, right? That's how you got into grass. I'm assuming. That is absolutely how I got into grass was the golf nerd. It was partially the golf nerd in me. Um, I grew up at the USAO baseball field in Chickasha. Uh, my grandpa was the head coach. He took care of the field and I was out there every day on the mower with him. And just, I grew up out there. Uh, so that was probably the start of it. And then once I really got into golf, I really started researching uh, grasses, like the, the Poa Trivialis they were playing at the WM Phoenix Open is a great little hybrid grass. Uh, so yeah, if anybody ever has any grass questions, I'm kind of an amateur grass expert if you will <laughs> i wouldn't say amateur they sound like a pro to me um <laughs> i lied to you i did hedge a little bit i forgot i sprinkled some on uh, jalen hurts to win mvp so well, when that game ended i was feeling really good i mean if anyone should win mvp in a losing effort it should be the guy that broke the records for for rushing touchdowns uh for a quarterback <laughs> tied the record for just rushing touchdowns in general had that unbelievable two-point conversion i thought Despite the fumble that he had, which was weird, he was just kind of shifting the ball from his inside hand to his outside. I thought he played unbelievable, and I thought he deserved MVP. Uh, yeah, I, I still think Mahomes deserved MVP. That second half was – because they, they kept the ball away from him the maximum amount that they possibly could, and he still scored on every drive with no margin for error considering the time of possession. So I still thought it belonged to Mahomes. Uh, his accuracy was unreal too. I think he, uh, I think he was perfect after injuring his ankle. Maybe I'd want to get well, that incompletion you mentioned where he threw it out the back of the end zone. Yeah. Yeah. The, the different arm angles and things that he can throw from the quickness with which he makes decisions. Once he hits his back foot in his drop. Um, I, I think that you could make the argument today, five years into his career that he is the best quarterback to ever play. Not the greatest, not the most accomplished. That's obviously Tom Brady, but as far as guys can, who can just a guy who can do something at the position consistently, with team success, accuracy, all that stuff, you can make that argument already, and he's only five years into being a starter. But Jalen Hurts had a great game. Uh, the three rushing slash pushing touchdowns. I think we need a. <laughs> I think we need a new category for pushing touchdowns if this is going to be a thing. But he was great all game. He just man, we, I, I talked about Mahomes having no margin for error. There's not a lot of margin for error to beat that guy either. And the one fumble when when that could have maybe. I, I mean, I don't know how different it turns out if they punt there, Kansas City goes down and scores, I don't know. But the one fumble that leads to the immediate scoop and score, and the part that's going to be forgotten is that was third and half a yard, and the Eagles were just going to use their free space and push up the middle. A false start is what backed it up to third and a little more than five, and then he fumbled. That was a huge sequence in that game.
That really was because, yeah, they were going to do their their little rugby scrum where their offensive line gets about a foot off the ground with their heads. They got, they have to outlaw the push play, right? Didn't call, college college finally got rid of the the bush push? I thought, but I think people still do that too. But they got to they got to outlaw that. That's not football. I actually can't remember what that rule is collegiately. I I think that. I they never call it, but I, I think technically it's a penalty, but they, they just never call it. I actually think they did away with it, but now you've got me second-guessing myself. because You might be right. I don't I don't really remember, but it's yeah, off the top of my head. Yeah, maybe it's just for me watching the NFL and seeing the Eagles do it all year. I just thought it was legal everywhere. But my, my only thing with outlawing it is if you outlaw it, I do think it starts to get subjective at some point. And whereas the way it is now – the Eagles have kind of perfected it, and it kind of ruins the third and one and fourth and one of football, which is supposed to be a difficult thing to get. And- Whoa, how how's it subjective? Like either you touch if you touch the quarterback, it's a penalty if on your well, own team. I think that it would get subjective because at times I think you could have a quarterback go in on a QB sneak, kind of fall into the pile. The left guard gets knocked back, and then the left guard falls on the quarterback and pushes him forward. Some overzealous ref throws a flag out there. I, I don't know. Am I am I creating a scenario that might not exist there? Yeah, I mean, as long as you don't line up behind him and then run into his back, it's not a penalty. That that to me is pretty clear intent. Now, like, Fair. I'm with you. Like when when those those plays where the offensive lineman literally just bear hug the guy and like just fall forward, like I think that's pretty obvious too. But like, I have much less trouble with that as as far as like they're at least even with him. They're not just standing behind him, like literally pushing his lifeless body through a pile. Uh, I am ready to say right now on these airwaves, you have convinced me. I, I agree with you. I think that it should be outlawed. And if guys start falling on each other in the middle of the play, that's one thing. If it happens as a result of the action and the chaos, but as far as just lining up in a formation to eliminate third and fourth and one from the game of football. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, out, outlaw the push. Uh, I'm glad I could convince you. Uh, I'm watching a replay. Thanks to uh, our man, uh, Bryce season season, okay. State season. Yeah. He sent us this, uh, this short motion influence and in, like the, the Kadarius Tony touchdown where he fakes to motion inside, bounces it outside wide open. Obviously the sky more touchdown, just down on the goal line, Colby. It was very triggering. I think for you and I both probably, we weren't, we weren't watching the game together, but I think we were thinking the same thing. The way Andy Reid was able to use motion to get guys just completely wide open is something that you and I were yelling at clouds about all season, about Oklahoma State's offense being so static, no motion, nothing to decipher for the secondary when they're facing Oklahoma State, rudimentary. Just this is why you have window dressing with pre-snap motion because you get guys wide open. And I thought, you know, Andy Reid took a lot of flack for some reason from a lot of folks. You know, Bill Simmons used to rip him, say he's a terrible coach. He's a great coach. <laughs> I've always said that. I mean, you don't get to four NFC title games and what he's done with the Chiefs if you're not. And I thought he deserved a game ball for some of those calls he made down near the goal line. Uh, yes, I, I think he and Bienemy both do. I read a story uh, earlier this morning that Bienemy actually noticed that exact play in an Eagles-Jaguars game from uh, earlier this season, and I watched the clip of the Jaguars doing it to the Eagles. They did it pretty much the same way. They motioned a man from the outside, underneath, behind the slot receiver, sent him back out wide, and they scored against the Eagles, and the Eagles didn't fix it, and the Chiefs ran it twice in the second half of the Super Bowl game got guys wide open and like you said as Oklahoma State fans we're just sitting here and it's 
It's like this revolutionary idea that if the defense has no idea who is going where at what time, that makes it much more difficult for you to defend. And the Chiefs, it's a masterclass. Every single week, they come up with something. The league adjusts, and they just come up with something new. They, they, they're not afraid to copycat when someone else does something well. It's like, oh, this is, an, this is a weakness for the Eagles. They're going to continue to sprint across the line. So if we just send that motion man back to the pylon, he's going to be wide open. And they did it twice in the second half. All they did was flip the side of the field and the player. It's just the Chiefs offense inside the 10-yard line is a master class on how to diagram guys into space. It is so fun to watch. Reed gets a ton of credit. He's been the head man for a lot of those offenses and been doing it for a long time over the years in the NFL. I think he and Bienemy uh, are a great team. And obviously it is Andy Reed's offense that Bienemy's running. And I think that Bienemy kind of gets lost in the weeds sometimes. But I was reading this morning that Saturday, the day before the Super Bowl, uh, Eric Bienemy was watching Eagles Jags film and noticed that play that the Chiefs ran twice in the second half where Jacksonville just started a receiver out wide. They motioned him behind the slot man, sent him right back to the pylon, and he was wide open for a touchdown. And Bienemy's like, look, right here, you just send him back the other way, he'll be wide open. And you watch those from, from the higher angle when they show the replays. And, I mean, Philly's in man. You've got the corner just sprinting across to keep up with the speed that the Chiefs have. That's another thing. They lose Tyreek Hill, and they're still one of the fastest teams in the NFL with Tony and Sky Moore on opposite sides running that play. Um, Bienemy and Reed are so good. And as Oklahoma State fans... It's just, it's like you're sitting there watching this revolutionary idea that if guys are constantly moving and the defense has no idea who's going where, that's a lot harder to defend. Um, yeah, it's it's painfully agonizing as a fan of very average offensive football teams. For me, Oklahoma State, uh, the last few years have been very average offensively. The Dallas Cowboys uh, have put up a bunch of numbers, but have been very average offensively. And then you watch these teams that have just mastered the art of play calling and confusing defenses and all these other things. It, it is truly a treat to watch. And the Chiefs, Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, Mahomes, all those guys, they deserve so much credit for making it all work and making it all look easy because we can see looking around different levels of football that most other teams, it's not as easy as they make it look. They deserve a ton of credit for what they're able to do in the red zone and inside the team. What did you think of the penalty? Uh, whew. I thought the penalty was a little weak. It was by the very textbook letter of the law definition he grabbed him he said after the game that he grabbed him it's a tough one it's a tough spot to throw that um i I know it's kind of a catch-22 we tell officials hey you've got to officiate the full 60 minutes and then when a guy throws a a so-so holding call uh that essentially brings a super bowl to an end a classic an all-time great it's tough it it was a little ticky tack it i look i'm I'm of the opinion you have to call call penalties no matter where they are, what stage of the game they are. Just I, I truly believe that. But I, I'm also hard-pressed to think that that exact type of hold that they called hadn't happened 25, 30 times throughout the course of that game on one side of the field or the other. I just, you cannot call that. That that If it's questionable at all, and I think it was, he did grab him, but I, I do think it was within the first five yards. It was very questionable. Like it, it wasn't just blatant and egregious and prevented a touchdown. Cause I, I don't know how, how I don't know if Mahomes just threw it knowing he was going to get the hold or if it was just that, that far two to four down the field or if the hold held him from getting to that football. But I just, 
I think that play happens just about every down between defensive backs and receivers who are running full speed into one another. I just do. So I, I hated the call. That was a terrible call. And a terrible way to end the, what was a, an instant classic. I, I really thought it just sucked the life out of the ending. Yeah, I think it did too. I, I agree with that. Uh, maybe Mahomes knew he was going to get the holding call if he just chucked it up. I don't know. Juju didn't react very much. The corner, to his credit, was very honest after the game. He's like, yeah, I grabbed him. I was hoping the ref would let it go. Still, like you said, that call has to be happening constantly across the field. In that big moment, you know, that official's in a spot where if he sees, if you're the official there and you see the hand and you see the jersey stretch, right? So you've got that clear sign that that jersey was held. I can see why a human being in that moment who has been trained when the jersey gets pulled away, that's a five-yard defensive holding. I, I see the penalty. I do. The moment makes it tough. Uh, I, I will say this, as I alluded to earlier, was rooting very hard against the Eagles. So if you switch the helmets in that situation, I might feel <laughs> a little more passionately about it. I acknowledge my own bias there. Um, but I wasn't I, I wasn't overly mad about it because I, I do try to put myself in the shoes of officials and say, okay, was this totally egregious? How could he have possibly even seen anything here? Or is it like, mm, that's kind of tough. Maybe not in that moment. And I think that was more of a, mm, that's kind of tough. Maybe not in that moment call, because if you're at the perfect angle and you're the ref, you see that Jersey come that flag's coming out. But like you said, that's probably happening all game. And it was a, it was a tough way for that game to end, and it, it robbed us of the potential for Jalen Hurts to go down and lead a field goal drive and then overtime and all that drama. It robbed us of all that, but I, I didn't let it ruin the Super Bowl for me by any means. I thought it was just an incredible uh, four-quarter football game. Yep, I agree, and I, I think I expected more out of Philly's defense. They never really made a play, and they, they were one of the best defenses in the league, and especially get after quarterback. I think Chiefs' offensive line deserved a game ball keeping Mahomes as clean as they did. His mobility certainly helped, but that was the one thing that they had to shore up. It's why they got rid of Tyreek Hill. They needed to sign you know, Orlando Brown to a big contract. And uh, that gamble, and it was a big gamble, giving up a talent like Tyreek Hill, a difference maker like Tyreek Hill. And uh, it certainly paid off. And um, one last note, what do you think of Rihanna's halftime show before we get out of here? I thought Rihanna was very good. It, it was one of those things that um, – she just relied on the music, right? The performance itself, like it wasn't, she, she's not doing the Beyonce performance, um, which I like, but I thought it was really good. Took me back to my high school days. A uh, lot of nostalgia. Um, where were you at on Riri? She's got so many songs. Like, so many. it's crazy. I thought it was more subdued because she was clearly pregnant and they've confirmed that she, she is. Yeah. Uh, she couldn't really do her normal Rihanna thing. And I've seen her in concert before she opened for uh, Kanye in 2008 at Chesapeake arena. Anyone that was there probably still talks about it. Like I do just an incredible night, but uh, she couldn't really do her Rihanna thing. It kind of like kept everything subdued. I didn't think she should have ended on diamonds. I think she should have ended it on, um, you know, one of the, one of the bigger bangers like run this town or we found love one of those, but um, it was, it was okay. Uh, no no guest features. We, we couldn't get Drake out there for a verse. Jay-Z was in the building. We couldn't get him out there for Umbrella. I don't know. Just It left me wanting a little more than, than, I, than I got. Yeah, I, th I thought it was good. I don't think it was legendary. Uh, I don't think it's going to go down in, in history of Super Bowl halftime shows. I do actually, Carson, have an honorary BB that I would like to lob your way as we uh -oh. just music from last night. Uh -oh. uh, are you aware about why you might be getting this one? You're not a fan of the Chris Stapleton uh, national anthem, I take it? No, no, no. That's not the case. But for those who didn't see, Carson 
put Chris Stapleton's anthem up there with, or maybe even beyond Whitney Houston's anthem. And while I thought Chris Stapleton did a very good job, it was solid. It was a good anthem. I just, I can't do Whitney like that. May she rest in peace. One of the all time great voices that this world has ever known. I can't do it, Carson. I mean, they're different, right? I mean, they can be equally great in different ways. Um, I don't think it's better than Whitney's, but it's, he's certainly, he rose to the level of Whitney, I think. I mean, Nick Sirianna was crying real giant tears because it was so moving. I had chills going through my body listening to he it. Nervous. He was crying because he was nervous. Give me a break. You didn't have chills running through your body listening to that? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, again, I All thought right. it, I thought it was a good anthem. Um, it just didn't hit for me the way okay. it did. Well, I'm not even like some, like there's a lot of like Chris Stapleton, like psycho super fans. I'm not one of those. I'm not even like a fan, really. I don't really listen to his music, but I just thought it was really good. I, I thought he was good. I thought he was maybe solid. maybe a little prisoner of the moment tweet. I'll own it. Uh, you can give me a BB for that. Maybe a little prisoner of the moment because Whitney's is the gold standard. I I understand that, and and I'm open to it. I'm I'm willing to accept the BB. I uh, I almost didn't even because didn't you give yourself a BB late last week when we did a show for a tweet? Yeah, because I almost jinxed them against TCU. Right, that's what it was. Yeah. I'm on fire. I'm I'm collecting BBs every week now. This is not. I need to reverse this. Right? Yeah, we'll see what we can do next week. Uh, again, I'm out the rest of the week. Uh, I'll be in New Mexico through Friday. So Kansas, TCU, Carson, uh, what, what does Oklahoma State go this week? 0-2, 1-1, 2-0. Oh, see, I, I don't want to set myself up for another BB, do I? Uh, I don't know. Your call. Uh, I I think they're beating Kansas tomorrow night, and I think they're beating TCU on the road. TCU's really kind of falling off a little bit without Miles. Um, Kansas won't be easy, but I just think that environment, and uh, really, Mike Boynton's record against Kansas has been pretty good. Even games he's lost, they, they've they've had every chance to win for the most part. Um, so I, I really like their chances tomorrow. And I think that place, the old barn, I think it's going to be swaying. I think it's going to be spitting fire. And uh, I think it's a chance for for those Oklahoma State students that you know have been just craving you know what the olds like you and I talk about, what the what Gallagher Abbey used to be. They're going to get a chance to experience it. So I, I I hope they really enjoy it, take advantage of it. And uh, I, I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I can't either. Um, I, I'm going to give them one and one this week. I think they beat Kansas tomorrow at home. And then off the heels of those two big wins, you've got to go down to Fort Worth. They're a better team this year. The, the arena and the atmosphere is better, but it's still you're just going to Fort Worth for a college basketball game. Jamie Dixon uh, said on, I believe it was Saturday, that Mike Miles has been progressing and has been doing some skill work the last few days. I would imagine that he's going to be back for Saturday's game against Oklahoma State, and that is just a, a huge uh, boost for TCU. So I will take the conservative route, Carson, and give him one and one on the week. Okay. That's probably more realistic. But, again, I just – they're playing really well, and it's exciting. And uh, it's been a long time since I've been looking forward to March Madness. So, yeah, Colby, good to be with you. Uh, glad you had a good week and have fun skiing. Uh, don't study too much turf when you're skiing. You don't want to be looking at the grass face down when you're skiing. So That's a great point. I'll, I'll try to keep my turf studies at home. Uh, good stuff, as always, Carson. <laughs> Everybody have fun at Gallagher-Iba uh, tomorrow. I hope to see that place rocking on TV. Everybody have a great week. As always, go Pokes.